Hey folks, just a quick note about the episode you're going to listen to. Barry and I had a great conversation with Jasmine Bradshaw, and you may notice in the background that there is a sound of some rather rapid typing. That is the sound of my dear wife furiously doing our taxes. You see, we recorded this episode around the time the taxes were due, and she had to sit down and bang it out, and this was the only opportunity for her to do so, so I do apologize for that. That being said, it's worth noting that my wife keeping the world running is the reason that I get to do stuff like this, so it's a small price to pay. That being said, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hey folks, and welcome back to The Office Hours. Uh, today, Barry and I are very excited to bring to you someone that I think is um, an exceedingly special guest uh, because she does a lot of really good work that is accessible for folks. Miss Jasmine Bradshaw, would you please introduce yourself for the audience? Yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Having you on my show was like so mind-blowing and eye-opening to me. So it's such an honor to be here. My name is Jasmine Bradshaw. I am an anti-racist educator and I do that primarily through my podcast. It's called First Name Basis and it is meant to teach parents, caregivers, teachers, anyone who spends time with young kiddos, how they can talk to their kids about race and anti-racism. And it's the best job. I feel like it is so healing for me to be able to do this work in with a specific focus on kids, because that's where so much of my own personal struggle with race and identity came from. So I love it. I live in Mesa, Arizona. I'm married to a wonderful man and I have two daughters. One is four and one is one. And I think another piece of important information about me is that I used to be a teacher. So that is why I love talking to kids so much. I felt like when I became a mom, I really didn't feel like I could do both and do them really well. So being able to do a job where I still get to teach kids, but not in such a formal way is fantastic. Yeah. And, um, and that's an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up about being a teacher. Obviously, um, being a parent is a form of organic education of a sort. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and sometimes parents even pass once in the blue moon. Um, <laughs> but uh, wh what grade did you teach? I taught second grade and I've taught a little bit of third grade as well. Okay. Um, because I know that you're doing the uh, Ally, as we record, you're doing the Ally Elementary program that you've developed, uh, which is for elementary school grade children, if I'm correct, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's really fascinating for anyone who is interested, even if you don't have children, but think at some point you may interact with small human beings. It's certainly worth something uh, to check out. Uh, and I just listened recently to your episode on um, Ramadan and Islamophobia and uh, how to consider, you know, especially for like from a teaching perspective, what to do about students who are observing Ramadan, that kind of thing. I yeah. don't deal with I don't deal with that age children, but I mean, my students are college age and certainly I do have from time to time observant Muslims who are taking part in that uh, holy season. And so it was helpful for me to learn more about. Um, so we say all that to say this today, we're going to be talking about a uh, perpetually tricky subject matter, and that is pop culture and kids. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're going to be discussing um, this issue of like, so you have kids, they want to watch, you know, TV or they want to consume pop culture and pop media and that kind of thing. How do we make sense of it? How do we figure out what's age appropriate and that kind of stuff? And before we get into that, we do need to have a disclaimer. Um, 
my area of research is in uh, media studies and critical media studies. Jasmine, you've just talked about how you come from this from a teaching uh, background as well as well as being a parent. Uh, and Barry is also a uh, media uh, production expert and that sort of thing and also does media studies as well. Uh, in addition to being a parent uh, of um, some lovely children. Um, so they are quite beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, as I said that, I just saw my kids look better than you. I just yes. saw, <laughs> as I said that I just I just saw Montgomery just scowling. Yeah, <laughs> Barry's got a boy who's how 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 old is he? Uh, he's five now. He's five, yeah. and he just looks perpetually scowling at all times. Oh, he's got <laughs> eyebrows. Let me tell you, <laughs> he doesn't know what you're up to, but he knows you're up to it. Um, yeah, <laughs> what it is. Uh, and you know, I've I've got you know um, uh, a child myself and, and one on the way uh, soon as we record this. Um, but but all that to say that like we're not like child development experts. Uh, we are the the value of this episode is to raise some questions for people to consider, offer some perspectives from a academic as well as from a personal per, um, approach. But always bearing in mind that we are not definitive sources on this, um, and certainly we would encourage people to continue learning about it. Um, hopefully today's episode and the episode that we're going to record next uh, related to like news media and things like that will generate some thoughts for folks to consider. Um, so that being said, uh, let's start with, um, how we decide what to expose our kids to, to begin with, because especially from coming out from a, a race and ethnic perspective, it's a bit of a minefield, um, to have to try to navigate, right? Like, um, I don't know, my, my wife and I are, are, are really peculiar about that when it comes to what we expose our daughter to. She's two years old uh, at this time of recording. And, you know, like she loves Dora the Explorer. That's great. But I have some <laughs> real, and, and I have some real like apprehension about like the broader children's pop media scene. I feel so similarly. I just feel like when I started, the hard part is this, there's, it's so huge. There's so much of it. And I had to really sit down and think to myself, okay, what are my values? And then what does it look like to align those values to what my kids are consuming. I feel like because I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old, my one-year-old is being exposed to way more than my four-year-old did because we just had the TV off. But now if my four-year-old is watching something, the one-year-old's there too. And I'm like, uh, how do I navigate this? But it reminded me of when I was young. So my mom is a clinical psychologist a career psychologist. She has been my whole life. And so they have a lot of quirky things that they did growing up. And one of the things that my parents did was I wasn't allowed to watch TV with commercials until I was five mm. because my mom read research about how hard it is on little kid brains to understand the difference between a show and being sold to. And so mm -hmm. I was only allowed to watch PBS until I was five. And then after that, we played a game when we were watching TV together, which was what are they trying to sell you during the commercials? And you had to try to guess what they were selling. So I feel like that, like I said, a very quirky way, but I felt like it was a good example of how my parents took, okay, what are our values and what do we want our kiddos to understand? And then really implementing it and sticking to a boundary. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting thing. Cause that's, uh, an exact thing that we talked about in a class that I teach about, 
advertising consumer culture. And, and me and my students, we, we went through the APA's guidelines on advertising to children. And um, th there's basically a, there's a really wonderful 2004 write-up of just a literature review all about like what we know about advertising and how it relates to children. And, and they highlight two, two, two things that are needed to have a mature understanding of advertising. And one is being able to differentiate between programming and advertising, and then being able to understand the motive behind advertising. Mm. And that if you lack either or both, then you, you, you lack your, you lack the capability to uh, navigate advertising from an informed perspective. And, and because children, especially eight years old and under often lack both of those capabilities, um, it, it, it makes no sense to expose your kid to those advertising messages, especially unregulated, like unmediated, I should say, right? Like if we're not there to help them through that, then yikes, you know, <laughs> there's, there's all sorts of things that could come from that. Uh, on that note of advertisements. Um, so I had a m moment today uh, that was a bit of a, I guess, a watershed moment. So we don't have cable or anything, right? We use the streaming services and which at this point is probably as much as any sort of cable bill, if I'm being honest. Oh my right? gosh, yes. <laughs> right. Um, so one of the ones that we use is uh, Pluto TV, right? And so, mm -hmm. which is uh, free and you can, um, it's free with whatever service you have or something like that. But basically there's an all door of the Explorer channel, which the kid loves, <laughs> right? Uh, there's also a PBS channel. There's all that sort of stuff. You know, we can, she can, she loves uh, Sesame Street, all that kind of thing. So we're watching Dora the Explorer this morning. And the way that Dora the Explorer works on these channels is that the episode is like 22 minutes long, right? So there's eight minutes of commercial that lead into the episode. And it's on the half hour and on the hour. Um, she says, so the episode is finishing up. We turn on with like five minutes left. She watches the end of whatever episode it is. And she's like, can we watch the commercials? My kids too. And I'm horrified because yeah. she's identified <laughs> commercials and she wants to watch them. It's like, well, this is, <laughs> this is not good. But I'm like, okay, Mika, we can watch, we can watch the, the commercials, I guess. Cause the new episode's about to start in a minute. Uh, and the commercials are the usual ones you expect for like Nickelodeon, right? So you got like Paw Patrol, stuff like that. Okay. Um, we can talk about Copaganda and, and like Puppy. Another time. Propaganda. Um, <laughs> How so, have I never heard that before? That's fantastic. <laughs> that, I did not invent that term. That is a thing. But yeah. So, um, but again, that's a that's a dialogue. That's a discourse from another day. Um, and then they uh, have an advertisement for the show Baby Shark, right? Which is mm -hmm. on Nickelodeon as well. It's like okay, it's whatever. But apparently, they're really this was a commercial for a like special little uh, airing event that they're really plugging, which is where they have Cardi B voice one of the sharks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> big deal now here's the thing yeah. i got no problem with cardi b she does what she does it's great it works for people she puts out some bangers she makes some money get paid all that stuff i i don't know <laughs> that i want that's a that. great summary of someone's entire career <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know that i want her being advertised to my kid especially because it's not just her doing the voice they advertise it as cardi b doing the voice oh that's uh, interesting as, as sharky b and that's that's her that's the character's name and awesome. i'm like uh, like i remember when ariana grande was uh doing disney channel stuff right yeah 
And then you had that issue of like when she started doing her music, which was very much not Disney oriented. And so you got these youngins that grew up with this character who are then like carrying over to the music. And it's like, look, there's a time and a place and elementary school ain't it, um, at least in my humble judgment. So, yeah, there is that matter of, like you say, Barry, the, the media literacy for children, which they don't necessarily have the skill set to possess prior to age eight. And so they don't understand that this is about moving product. They don't understand that this is about, you know, putting eyes on a screen. They just think, oh, this is a fun thing and I want to watch it. And why not? Right. So, yeah. and that is one of the same. I mean, mm -hmm. just, just more simply, uh, my kid has gotten into Minecraft and, at the same time has wanted to really dive into the Minecraft space on YouTube mm -hmm. to see like other people playing the game, other commentary and stuff like that. And that's, that's a really, that's a really difficult place for an eight year old to be navigating. Right. And yeah. um, so, I mean, our general rule right now is, Oh yeah, you can watch YouTube if I'm there with you to watch it. Because let's do it. Like, there's some great stuff on there. There's some really wonderful creators who are doing some interesting things with it. Storytelling through Minecraft is a wonderful, like, medium. But you have to sift for it, right? You yeah. have to find it and, and you have to seek it out. And, and he does not have the capabilities right now to really understand what he's looking for and, and what's happening. And uh, something as simple as the the creator saying, "Hey, you know, uh, hit subscribe and and you know, uh, so you can you know follow more and like this video." And like some of these YouTubers are every five minutes, they're reminding you to like the video, like it, and leave mm -hmm. a comment and stuff like that. And he he wants to engage. Like these mm -hmm. are people who are telling stories that he really likes, telling him to engage with them. And so he keeps saying, hey, so like, where's the like button? We need to like this, you know, where I, I want to leave a comment. I want to I want to share my ideas about this. And and um, the, while while those are innocent enough in themselves, uh, it's opened the door for really cool discussions about like, well, why do you think he wants you to hit this like button? What does the like button do for you? And he's like, well, I don't nothing you know like eventually he got to the point where he was like oh yeah it, like i'm not getting anything out of it and 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 i'm like okay so like why do you think he wants you to do it so badly then like what where where does that lead and and he was like well maybe he wants to know if i like it or not and mm -hmm. he's like and, and i'm like okay well that's an interesting idea uh did you know that he actually gets a little bit of money for the number of people who who like this video you know that there is a dollar attached to your like and he looks at me he's like pure evil oh, no. <laughs> well, I, I mean I, <laughs> let's not swing the pendulum too far but uh, just understand why this is happening right and it goes back to that idea that like kids sometimes or often have a have difficulty navigating the motives behind the media and how it's uh, created and how it's transmitted and 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 all of that right I have, a, I have a thought, and then I want to switch to Jasmine for a second, but this might be a new record for <laughs> tangentially tying in Nazis um, because we've, now we've done it in under 15 minutes this time. Um, the uh, it, I was learning from a um, radicalization expert uh, that I was listening to an interview that he said that one of the most popular places for white nationalists to recruit is Minecraft. Um, 
Minecraft and what? Roblox. Because that is not what deleting, I was expecting you to say. We're deleting oh some stuff. Because, well, it's because the <laughs> online, the servers that people set up, they're, they're, it's very difficult to moderate the content. Like, mm. yeah. it's hard. You can. It's, just, it's yeah, open platform. It, because it's open. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like, you know, Call of Duty where, of course, you've got skinheads on there trying to talk to kids. But it's like, at least those are limited in terms of the amount of um, uh, servers that you can have. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, it's a thing. Um, anyway, <laughs> Jasmine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, when you think about the sort of messaging uh, that you want to endorse in your like kids' media and stuff that they consume, which we should point out, like there's, um, you mentioned your mother being a clinical psychologist. I know that from a communication perspective, we have, uh, we use things like social learning theory, uh, which, uh, you know, folk, if, for anyone who's not familiar, basically says kids imitate what they see, whether it's in real life or in mass media ways, like on TV, um, as a way of learning. Uh, and there's a lot of research about like mental model development of um, accessing information in the brain and what's most easy and that sort of stuff, which also ties into media. What do you look for in terms of pro-social messaging in uh, children's media for your own kids? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I feel like I'm so lucky in that the work that I do like translates to parenting so easily. And the framework that I use for teaching anti-racist education is actually an anti-bias framework that was created by two women, um, Dr. Louise Derman-Sparks and Dr. Julie Olson Edwards. And they explain there are kind of four steps. And the first is really helping kids understand who are you in context of the world, building out their identity, what, what's important to you, where do you come from, who are your people? And then the second is being comfortable with differences, diversity, the people around you, understanding that differences are a part of life. The third is being able to identify unfairness. And then the very last step is how do I take part in um, fixing the unfairness that I see around me, racism, sexism, all of those things. And so I feel like that's kind of the framework I use when I'm thinking about media is how do I pick something where my kids are, their identity is being um, upheld, affirmed, all of those things where problems are being solved, where unfairness is being explored and tools for how to tackle that are being shared. Like there are so many different ways that you can look at a piece of media and see, okay, does this fit into the framework of my parenting, which is that anti-bias framework. And, and if it does, the problem is, I mean, you ask for, ex like, if you're thinking about specific examples, I was trying to be like, this is the perfect, like gold medal of media. And there really is nothing. There's really yeah. nothing. Um, I was talking to my husband. I, have you guys heard of or seen Luca? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Luca is this movie where this little boy is a sea monster and he wants to go to the shore, but the people on the shore don't like sea monsters. And he meets this other sea monster boy who spends lots of time on the shore and they go out and they have to hide their identity as sea monsters. Once they get to the shore, they can, they look like humans, but if they get wet, then they turn into monsters. Right. And so the whole movie is them like trying to avoid people finding them out or outing them. Mm -hmm. And then at the end they out themselves and then the community accepts them. And my husband and I are like, Oh my gosh, look at the parallels, the LGBT. This mm -hmm. is so amazing. Mm -hmm. Like we mm -hmm. can have great conversations. And then I go online and I'm reading about it. And the LGBT community is like, 
nice job, Disney. You literally said everything without saying it, which is the exact problem. They're like, you made all of these parallels without actually saying at the end, you know, this is a parallel for this. And, and just so that you wouldn't make people angry. And I'm like, Oh, like, so you look at this piece of media that feels totally aligned and feels totally like quote unquote perfect. And then Mm -hmm. you see there's still shortcomings, especially when you listen to the people from the community that it's supposed to represent. So obviously I guess what I'm trying to say is like, of course, look at your values and what you want to teach them, but understand that nothing is going to meet it perfectly. I think that's an excellent point because when it comes to a lot of this stuff, um, even when it comes from good intentions, and I'm always hesitant to, to talk about intentionality when it when it comes to uh, mass mediated uh, products, because the biggest intention is to sell, right? Uh, and obviously, Disney butts up against that in, in a lot of ways. But adults may be able to see these things and may be able to use it to teach kids, but um, the kids aren't going to notice it. And the kids may even push back if they're like, well, I don't see it that way, right? Mm-hmm. So that that openness to interpretation can work against uh, sort of efforts to educate uh, a little bit. We can have decent standards for things like um, you think of like Sesame Street as being sort of the classic, uh, but it's um, it is limited in scope. The PBS is in a fight for its life. It has been for decades about maintaining funding. So they have to be thoughtful about how they go about these things as well. Um, they produce good material, but also sometimes kids get bored of the same thing. So you got to yeah. switch it up and look for something else. And um, yeah, so, but that leads us to like having to deal with things like the classics, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's uh. talk about Disney princesses. <laughs> Well, let's start with like who picks the classics. I mean, mm-hmm. what That's is classic? I feel like reframing to myself, like what is a classic? Is it just because of the way it makes me feel? Is it just because I watched it growing up? Because that doesn't mean you have to show it to your kids just because it's quote unquote classic. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, there there are a lot of movies I have not seen and that have been almost shamed by my peers for not having seen because <laughs> I because like in my house, like that was never a thing. Like my mom didn't buy into the idea of, oh, this is an important movie you need to watch. No, it's like we have things mm-hmm. to do. We got like I have to work. You should like here color some crayons while I run this business to pay the bills. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's tough because they companies like Disney or Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network or any of these others create an ocean to swim in. And so many of your kids' peers are going to be doing just that, right? Mm. And so it doesn't, I won't say it doesn't matter, but it is tough to mitigate some of that exposure. You can obviously do something about that in your own home. Although parents do have to like increasingly uh, be cognizant about the ways in which media can infiltrate your home without you being aware of it, certainly, especially when we get into things like cell phone use or, or what have you. Um, but you also don't want your kid to be ostracized because they don't know who Snow White is. Yeah. Right? Which <laughs> yeah. I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine um, who has a daughter with uh, achondroplasia, which is the the condition that Peter Dinklage has. It, it leads to a type of dwarfism. And like, how do you... Like, what is that going to mean for that kid? And she's going to grow up in an environment where um, other people know who Snow White and the Seven Dwarves are, may even see unfair parallels between mm. her and these fictional representations. Um, and so it it's a little bit tough. So I don't know. Like, um, I'm interested to hear y'all's thoughts on, like, where do we – how do we expose our kids so that maybe they're media savvy, but also they're not internalizing this stuff? I don't know if this is making a lot of sense. 
No, it totally is to me. I feel like the internalization piece is so prevalent. I have noticed it so much with my kiddos. And I thought, okay, so I thought that if you had representation of real people in your life, then that would kind of mitigate the damage. But... So, oh gosh, my sweet four-year-old, I love her so much. And she's obsessed with marriage right now, man and wife. And I tell her all the time, you you can have two brides or two husbands or whatever. And my sister is gay and she lives with her girlfriend. My, my husband's sister is also gay. We have lots of gay people in our lives as that like, look, representation. And she still is hooked on this idea. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I need better representation in that realm of magic that she's in. I feel like she compartmentalizes it in her brain of like, this is real life and this is what's magical and this is what I want to be a part of. And it's not that she is like, I don't like my gay aunts or anything like that. It's just that she sees it in this very black and white, like this is the way you do it. And I don't understand the disconnect for her. So I think what you're saying about like, it bleeding into their lives in a very real way is something that I struggle with as a parent because I'm like, I do have boundaries around certain things that like, she will never watch Pocahontas. She will never watch Peter Pan. And if she's, you know, out of the loop because she doesn't know who Peter Pan is, then she's just going to have to deal with that. But, sure. but then there are the the other things that I have let her watch. So now I'm like, uh Oh, like how do I, how do I fix this? So it's like finding representation within media that kind of mirrors what she's already seen so that she can kind of put those things in the same bucket in her brain. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And actually you, you make an interesting metaphor here. So um, there's a, there's a study I'm thinking of, I think it's by Dana Mastro uh, and some other scholars as well, um, about a mental models approach, uh, looking at, um, looking at the role of mitigation of real life exposure when it comes to, um, when it comes to facilitating uh, perspectives on different groups. So the study was looking at like, basically they had two groups of college students uh, all of them watched a significant amount of like law and order, CS, uh, CSI kind of stuff, right? Crime procedurals, uh, more propaganda. Um, and <laughs> uh, group A had meaningful relationships with Latinos and group B had uh, did not, right? Mm, and so mm-hmm. what they found was across the board, they were all more likely to, they were all likely to internalize and, and agree with uh, the reality of like the the stereotypes used in these shows right because they often frame latinos in a very negative light even when they're not the episode villain they're often portrayed in a criminalized manner yeah um so across the board folks were like okay that makes a degree of sense right however group a where the people had meaningful um um relationships with folks in the latino community um they were less likely to buy into them so it's a matter of percentage and probability and that kind of thing. Um, so, and part of this gets to the idea of to what extent does our reality and our mass media, con- um, mass media consumption expand our imagination of what could be, right? And so like to the point of your children, um, you know, they're going to grow up with close, meaningful connections to those uh, people from the LGBTQ community. Uh and they're all, and hopefully that bleeds over into what the imagination of what marriage can be means for them in addition to the stuff. Right. Uh, but cause I don't think we're, I don't think we're going to get like a, uh, you know, Prince charming, uh, finds a husband narrative anytime soon out of Disney. <laughs> we should um, like, we, yeah, come sure. on Disney. 
you know, for a, for a for a company that was pushing the envelope by having like a uh, you know celebration of Gay Parents Day back in the nineties, like they they haven't moved on much past that. Um, I don't know. I, I feel an awful lot of value in um, in presenting contrast with my kids that like a lot of conversations that hinge around trying to interpret the media that we're consuming um, in, in our home oftentimes has a comparison aspect. Like what do you see in your life and how does it relate to what you see here in this media, right? Like in, in your show um, and, and we've, we've talked about uh, same, same sex couples and, and things like that as well, especially because the exact same situation as you, Jasmine, right? Like we, we have these representations that are more frequent in media than um, even in our day-to-day uh, -day lives, right? We're just inundated with just an, an overabundance of particular types of representations. And so while I don't feel like I always live up to the opportunity, I do enjoy the opportunity to say, hey, so yeah, like, what do you, what do you think about that? Because we see this situation over here, the situation that's in your life, hello, right? <laughs> and, and that's not the same as what you see over here all the time yeah why do you think that is right and kind of giving them the opportunity to explore that and and um trying to create an open forum for them to be able to uh present observations that they see and what's cool about that in our home anyways is is then it's it's like home is a place where we can discuss these things you know home is a place where we recognize our frustrations with the way things are presented on TV and how I don't really feel like that's a, that's a thing that I see in my life, you know, and, and why, what's going on and how should we feel about that? You know, and there are answers for that. And then there's some things that there are no answers, right? Like, uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's interesting. I, I, interestingly about Luca in our home, um, one of our kids ended up asking about like, I think those two are boyfriends or something like that. And, and the, you know, uh, among the kids, they kind of got in an argument. No, they're just friends. No, I think they like, like each other, you know, or whatever. And, and it's, it's, uh, it was, it was a cool opportunity to be like, well, Hey, you know, like both can be really true about this, right? Like there, this is a, a story where they're leaving the interpretation open to you. And obviously I'm not using that language with them, but like, it's it's an opportunity to say yeah the way that you're interpreting this is important and and that the, the uh, you know being overly academic the text is allowing for an openness here right and and um, both both are 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 valid here that they that this could be a story about these two boys who really like each other right and and they're exploring their relationship and how it relates to the outside world. Um, and, and that can be really cool. Your, your uh, elementary age children are at the right age to learn words like polysemy and verisimilitude <laughs> and things like that. Uh, so this, this, um, this also get, sort of gets to something that I've been struggling with. And that is, uh, I think, and, and uh, this sort of dovetails with what you're saying about, you know, being able to talk about these things. I think there is value in although don't ask me in what specific ways i think there is value uh <laughs> in using problematic material to teach children and and here's what i mean by that so like you take beauty and the beast 
Right. Beauty and the Beast is a, I just read that to my kid for the first time a few weeks ago. Uh, and I had to, and I didn't, I forgot what all is in Beauty and the Beast because <laughs> I am an adult who hasn't watched it in a long time. I was in a play production of it in high school. Uh, the most significant thing I took away from that was getting clocked in the head with a steel pole and having three stitches outside of that. Don't remember a whole lot, probably because of the steel pole. Um, but <laughs> whatever. like, so I'm reading through and I was like, Oh wait, there's some things that, okay, well daddy needs to. And I had to like re rework the story, like to something that was like at all palatable and and okay for a two-year-old um like that's that is the nice thing about reading stories yeah which <laughs> <laughs> if great you don't know how to read yet then <laughs> you can right. just change I, it to I whatever you want story. It, yeah. it turned a lot like there was a moment like where the the horses you know the the bells escaping from the tower or whatever and and like there's the wolves i was like and look and now she's playing fetch with the wolves with the puppies in the forest <laughs> yeah. um and the horse is concerned because he can't find the stick and so, you know that kind of stuff um i think I worked, easily the scariest part of the entire I, story i think i worked in something about like the need for the um uh, animated uh, objects to like unionize or something on, you know, something. Oh like my land! <laughs> um, but but Beauty and the Beast is it's a it's a one of those quote unquote classics, right? It's a ostensibly fun story if you you know if you just take it at face value. But there are some really unfortunate aspects to it. Um, things like classism. Uh, that are pretty rampant in it. Uh, it starts with Belle like looking down her nose on people who are just trying to feed their children. Like, oh, look at how rural and rustic and provincial this life is. They're trying to feed their kids. <laughs> like, right. not all of us can afford to just do nothing but read books all day. Um, oh. As someone who likes to do nothing but read books all day, it's not sustainable. <laughs> uh, or, you know, the aspect of like um, the woman having to rehabilitate a man. Right. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. that is not like pretty woman is a piece of high fiction. That is not mm -hmm. how these stories play out in real life. Right. Um, the part where he kidnaps her. Yeah. <laughs> and keeps her in a tower. Yeah. <laughs> like, Trades. She exchanges herself for her father. Uh, right. Like yeah. it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Um, and you know, and the beast is, or that anything the beast does is justifiable because he's having a bad day. Yeah, yes. you know, he's just having a bad time, so he mm -hmm. can get away with stuff like that. Yeah, or that he's quote unquote ugly because of his, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's worth noting that the beast is a hybrid of a of animals and humanity. And as speaking yes. of someone who is a hybrid, that's a little sketchy. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, so there's all that sort of stuff there. And so I'm I'm thinking about how you know, okay, you you we try to cultivate a certain media ecosystem in our home for our children, uh, and then they're going to be exposed to stuff, and uh, maybe these classics in the eventuality, as is often the case that they, you know, learn about and then consume the media. They go to, they go trick or treating with their friends in like uh, elementary school. And one of them is wearing like a bell outfit or something like that. Right. Well, uh, maybe this is um, something that we can sort of continue a little bit forward when they get a little bit older and say, Hey, listen, you know, this thing that you loved that for the record, I tried not to expose you to, but you did anyway. <laughs> um, like here's what we can take from this. Uh, because the truth is, most of the material we like is somehow problematic, right? Most of our heroes are trash and most of our media is unfortunate. <laughs> um, Such I've, I've a over... bright, positive note. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is bright and positive because like this is a skill set that they're going to need to learn how to develop, right? The yeah, whole reason that absolutely. we do this as children is to sort of, it's like cracking open a walnut. 
some of the things are going to be good, some of the things are going to be bad. And we need to be able to identify what's bad, right? Um, again, how that works out in time and space, I don't know because I'm new to this whole parenting thing myself, but I don't know. Maybe there is some good that can come from uh, these sort of accidental exposures, if you will. I completely feel that in my bones as a parent, that as much as we try to align the things with what we want them to understand, it's it just is. And whether they watch it in our home or they go to a friend's house and they watch it. I mean, okay. So one time we're at the park, my daughter's shoes probably almost three. She was really young. And all of a sudden it was quiet. And it was just her and this other girl. They were playing super nicely. It was super low key park day. And they were just like super quiet. And I was like, where are they? Like, what is happening? And I go and I find them like huddled in the slide. And I said, what are you guys doing? And this girl was like, she was probably six. And she goes, we're watching it on my phone. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's um, great. What? <laughs> like, well, first I thought she didn't know what she was talking about. I'm like, because she's six. How <laughs> is she watching a like super gruesome rated R movie on her phone with Ugh. my two and a half year old? <laughs> so uh, I tried really hard not to freak the freak out. And I was just like, okay. And I said, hey, you know, to my daughter, come down. And I explained to her. <laughs> At the park, we don't watch shows. Like, there's a time and a place for watching a show, <laughs> and it's rule. not here. I know, new, new rule, rule that I didn't know I needed. <laughs> yeah. And so I went over and talked to the girl's mom because I thought, oh, there's no way she knows what's going on. So I said to her, hey, like, just so you know, I just found him in the slide doing this. And she was like, oh, well, you know, my mom had a lot of rules for me when I was young and I rebelled. So I'm just I just let her figure it out. And that's what she likes. I'm like, how does she know that she likes this if she's six years old? So I it mm. was a really good moment for me to be like, OK, as much as I try as much as I explain, there are going to be times it's not about if, but when she sees something Mm -hmm. or experiences something that I am not comfortable with or doesn't align with my values, how are we going to respond in that moment? Yes, totally. And and to your credit, not freaking out in that moment is probably going to help your child be more comfortable coming to you when those things happen. Right? Like, I remember going to my cousin's house when I was in like uh, middle school or high school uh, and visiting and like watching the worst movies, the absolute <laughs> just stuff that, um, uh, and you know, I, there was no way I was going to talk about it. I was like, oh, hey, guess what I can, guess what movie I watched with my cousin and this and the other. No, no, you can, because is um, that fear of repercussion is absolutely mm-hmm. a, a concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, but shame is always a good idea. Shame, shame is the best parenting <laughs> tool ever. It's my so favorite I've never one. Found, yeah. yeah, I've never found a way where that has ever gone wrong. It's I'm, great. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> ten out of ten. Um, well, on that on that glorious high note, why don't we uh, call this episode to a conclusion? <laughs> That's the note we end up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shame is useful. Uh, it's um, and like guilt, it's a renewable resource. Uh, oh no! Um, oh my anyway. goodness. <laughs> We should not. <laughs> Sorry. I can, um, um, I'm Catholic. It's a part of my faith practice. Uh, oh, no. goodness. <laughs> no. Um, all right. So uh, why don't we, why don't we end on an actual positive note and, and uh, Jasmine, where can people find you and support you and all the great work that you're doing? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm most active on Instagram at firstname.basis. And you can listen to the First Name Basis podcast on any podcasting app. Just type in the type it into the search bar and you'll see a picture of my face and click on that. Absolutely. And of course, folks know they can find me on uh, t- uh, TikTok at Dr. Dot underscore C on Instagram and Twitter at GA Cruz underscore PhD. Uh, please send us comments, questions and um, feedback and that kind of thing at GA Cruz PhD at gmail.com. And, you know, leave us a like and share us with your friends and enemies. All right. So <laughs> thanks for dropping by the office hours, folks. We'll catch you next time.